You're listening to the Whitewater Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org slash give. Let's dive into this week's message together. What is the church supposed to look like? Have you ever wondered that? I had someone come up to me and ask me, what's going on in the world right now? There just seems like so many people are separating from each other. There's people uh, of faith, people part of churches that are separating from each other within the church, people separating you know, within families and dividing over issues that have come up, people that are moving to you know, totally different states because of issues that they're having and, and wanting to, to go to a place where they feel like, this is my people. And so why, why is there so much tribalism in our world? And I think a really important question for Christians that this friend was getting at is like, well, what is the church supposed to look like? in all of this. And I think Scott McKnight provides a great model or image. This is uh, what I call the uh, salad model. And I think this can help us understand what the church can and should look like. So how many of you guys like salad? Any salad lovers out there? Or maybe like you just have to do salad because it's like what you got to do for your diet. What kind of salad do you like? How do you like your salad? Any onion people out there? Tomatoes? Eh? Kale? Not a kale person. Some people like kale. Iceberg lettuce, I like that a little bit more. I know it's not as healthy. Cheese, nuts, you guys like fruit. Some of you guys are like light dressing people, heavy dressing. There's probably a lot of difference out there in opinions right now. Well, Scott McKnight breaks his model of the church down in, into two basic types of salads. Check this out. The salad model said there's, says there's basically two kinds of salads that Americans like. One way is the segregated salad. So segregated salad takes all the parts, keeps them separate, and then douses them with immense amounts of ranch or Thousand Island, you know, especially in America. My son would be part of this crew. And for that matter, my daughter, they just, they like lots of ranch and they don't like vegetables. (laughs) So this is the segregated salad. The other kind of salad is the mixed salad. This is where you you actually put maybe a little bit lighter dressing on it that uh, helps draw out the flavors. And then you mix it up to help, again, draw out the flavors and mix the flavors together. And everything is like complementary and diverse. And you never know what you're going to get with each bite. This is what Scott McKnight says should be a real salad. And this is what he thinks the church should be. Not a segregated salad that has like this brand of Jesus that's just over everything and like takes out all the other flavors, but a a salad that's designed to help all the different flavors draw out the larger flavor of the entire salad. And this is the beauty and the challenge of church is church is filled with people and every person I know has something weird about them. And so you got weird people all together and you have you know, interesting and fun and weird flavors that, that join a church. But I love this picture because it's a picture of an uncommon diversity in uncommon unity. That's the church, this community of uncommon diversity in uncommon unity. How does Jesus' church maintain unity within diversity? You know, how do we keep from running to our tribe or our people and condemning people who, you know, think, look, and act maybe a little differently than us? And also, how do we, you know, not become a a church that, you know, doesn't center on anything, but it's anything goes and kind of sinks into this like moral relativism. That's not what Jesus Church is about either. Paul writes Philippians chapter two as one of, I think, the best answers for how to generate and maintain 
unity and diversity. Starting in verse 1, chapter 2, Paul writes this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So he's talking to all of these people. He's saying all of you who have been brought into Jesus, into his family from different places and different backgrounds. He says this to them, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. You know, bring your thinking into harmony. Bring your differences into unity. Bring the many into a sense of oneness. Paul isn't talking about extinguishing unique uniqueness or having everyone be exactly uniform and the same, but he's saying, take your differences and harmonize them. Make turn the crazy, awful band camp into like a beautiful symphony, <laughs> the best you can. And sometimes the church is a little bit like, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, middle schoolers playing an instrument for the first time. And other times, and at its best, it can become a symphony. Paul is showing us that he wants us to have this oneness, this sense of unity as a diverse family of God. And this is uncommon in the world. This isn't normal, but it's what God has called us to. And I love that it's centered around Christ. As we go through the rest of this passage, you're going to see just like every aspect of Paul's theology, Paul's philosophy, Paul's mental model for this is soaked and influenced in Christ. The first thing that's important to know when we think of diversity and unity, diversity is a gift from God. If we don't recognize that diversity is a gift, we can start thinking that like differences shouldn't be part of my tribe, my way of thinking. And, and the problem when we get into like this tribal kind of thing and you're in or you're out based on, uh, you know, these, these kind of sometimes synthetic beliefs that we'll get or these things that are semi-important, we make them like the most important thing. Pretty soon we've got like this group thing going or the Bible calls it like almost like group or community idolatry. That's not good. Diversity is actually a gift, and one of the gifts that diversity brings is we help challenge each other's blind spots or challenge the idols that we might start lifting up as higher than they should. And whenever we start worshiping something uh, more than Jesus, that's not good. And diversity acts actually helps kind of like balance that out and help us see other perspectives on who God is and help us uh, know Jesus um, more truly together. And then the other thing is unity isn't just centered about around whatever you know, we want it to be, but unity is centered on Christ. And so uncommon diversity is really saying, hey, people of different color, different culture, different classes, people of even different convictions can be together. And this allows many different flavors and tastes to be within a, in a church. To give a little context to this, Paul is writing to, you know, home churches, these home churches in Philippi. And typically in a, a house church, you, you know, that was in the, this time of, of Paul where the Roman Empire is in charge, you'd have men and women and, you know, have Roman citizens and non-Roman citizens in a, in a home church. You'd have potentially freed slaves and non-freed slaves who are part of a household. You could have ones who would have legal rights and ones who didn't have legal rights. You could have Jews and Gentiles and people from all over the world, the known world at that time, from all moral walks of life, you know, different ethical perspectives. And, you know, perhaps most notably, people from elite classes all the way down the social scale to, you know, homeless and people at the bottom of the heap could all be within a home church. 
And these are the people that could be reading a letter that Paul's writing, like in chapter two, he's writing to them. He's writing to us. So do you think all these people agreed on everything all the time? Sometimes you can have this historical idealism that takes over where you think like everything's perfect back in the early church. And man, I just read through the book of Acts. Like sometimes they'd be arguing. There's one point in the book of Acts that someone says they were all fighting arguing. No one knew why they were there. You know, that's sometimes a church gathering. Like people are like, why am I, why am I here? This is the challenge of being a church body, a family. These churches that Paul was writing to, they were supposed to be a fellowship, a family of diverse, different people. Were they called to be unified and diversified? Did this cause tension? You bet. On all kinds of things, cultural beliefs, backgrounds, theological preferences, and personalities that maybe just bugged each other. I mean, there were probably all kinds of tensions, just like we have today. The list could go on. What did these churches actually do to unify? And what did they unify around? If diversity were the only concept that they centered around, these groups or these churches could easily become kind of relativistic, aimless groups of people. But that's, again, not what Paul was after. So how do we create and maintain unity and avoid silly controversies, personality clashes, secondary differences that so easily divide? Let's hone in on verse 3. This is so important. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Ugh, this is Paul's secret weapon to transcend differences and division. And here's what it is. It's servanthood servanthood. Servanthood is the idea of learning to be a servant, not a Lord in your relationships, not a Lord in your community, not someone who demands but doesn't demonstrate, someone who demonstrates what Jesus demonstrated, and that's being a servant. See, when we're servants, this leads to kinship, to family, to unity. Love, at least Christian love, is defined by servanthood. It's defined by the, the narrative arc of Jesus, the servant of all, the one who said he didn't come to, to be served, but to serve the world. That's where we get our picture. The Christian concept of love is defined by servanthood. It's defined by the self-giving love of Jesus. This bends all of our preferences, our power, our privilege, our liberty around Jesus, not our selfish motivations, not just what we want. And because it's wrapped, it wraps all those things around Jesus, it also wraps them around others because Jesus served other people. Jesus shows us the way of servanthood. This rest of this passage goes into this. But servanthood subverts our selfishness, our preferences, our bias, our tribalism. Servanthood subverts the unhealthy beliefs, attitudes, and systems in our world. You know, if you take the identity of a servant, you can disagree with people, but still serve them with love. When you're a servant, you can disagree with people without dividing from people. Because you can disagree with somebody if you're a servant while serving them with a love that, a love that might limit yourself for their good and their benefit. Because that's what Jesus did. Servanthood subverts the unhealthy beliefs, attitudes, and systems in our world. Think about it. 
If you take on the identity of a servant, you can disagree with people, but still serve them. You can disagree with people without dividing. When we serve somebody, it means that you limit yourself for their good and for their benefit. That's what Jesus did. Sometimes we think like we can be servants without limiting ourselves, limiting maybe our preferences and what we want and our interests. But Paul says, you know, don't seek your own interests, seek the interests and good of others. Imagine what that would do, not only in our churches, but in our world, in our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. Man, servanthood, it subverts or undermines the attitudes and systems of division in our world. It actually unifies. If I could define it this way, I think what Paul's getting at is servanthood is choosing to limit our power. It's choosing to limit our privilege, choosing to maybe even limit our liberty to lift others up the way that Jesus did. Instead of getting angry at people, serve them. Instead of raging at people, serve them. Instead of dividing with people, serve them first and foremost. Division, removing someone from your life or uh, removing your life from theirs should always be a last resort for the purpose of health, not just anger or getting even. Paul notes that humility values and thinks of others as better than ourselves. That's the attitude of a servant, seeing others as better than ourselves doesn't mean that you're not valuable. It's just saying, I'm going to lift somebody else up. I'm going to seek their good. I'm going to seek other people's interests. When you seek the interest of others and not yourself, it kind of disarms people, you know? Dialogue can happen. Better listening can happen. And when you seek the interests of others, you actually find yourself more interested in others, not just interested in yourself. Again, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Another translation says, do nothing out of selfish, for selfish purposes or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And here, hone in on verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the same attitude as Jesus. So what happens when we take on the mindset of Jesus, the mindset of a servant? Here's what it looks like. Community that serves each other appreciates and honors differences, different perspectives, cultures, colors, class, convictions. This kind of a servant community disagrees with charity and clarity. You can disagree with charity, giving people the benefit of the doubt, and being able to come to greater clarity through your discussion. A servant community challenges each other's thinkings. You allow other people to challenge you, and you're not afraid to challenge others because you're trying to help each other. You love each other. You're family. A servant community loves and lives life together, like you're you're actually doing life in a way that you enjoy together. And this kind of community has a clear focus on what unites rather than what divides so that you can transcend your differences. I think that's so important. We can actually transcend the differences that we have. It reminds me of growing up. I grew up kind of in a unique situation. I didn't realize it at the time, but not a lot of people had a group of friends like I did growing up. I had a group of friends in Bellingham, which is like in the northwest, northwest corner of Washington and real close to the border of Canada. 
I had a group of friends that, like, we would argue and debate philosophy, theology, films, novels, food, anything and everything. We also liked adventure, so we'd go out adventuring. But, like, all my friends were very opinionated, had strong opinions, and they were smart, smart guys. Sometimes my friends in Bellingham could really strongly disagree and even fight about things. But after a fight or a really strong disagreement where people might storm out, we'd always come back together. You know, we'd go swimming at the lake, play ultimate frisbee, bonfire on the bluffs at night overlooking the Bellingham Bay. We'd always come back together because our friendship and sense of kinship was stronger than the fights and disagreements. Are we a community here at Whitewater that allows difference of theological interpretation, different tastes and flavors? convictions? Or are we going to be a church that's just very homogenous? It's only one way. It's my way or the highway. Can complementarians be with egalitarians? Can Calvinists, determinists be with free will folk? Will people on the right be able to be with people on the left and love each other? Can we transcend our differences and focus on Jesus together? So does this celebration of diversity, you know, kind of Enfold itself into this community that's just everything's relative and, and anything goes? Not at all. You know, Paul was after a community centered on Christ. Our unity is in Christ. And this unity focuses on what's central, what's essential. Very often people will focus and center themselves, live their life, focus their life on maybe secondary or third issues. Issues that we want to center ourselves on here at Whitewater are like the ones that Jesus uh, laid out that are really important. So we take our guidance from him. You can go online, you can go on our website, look at our central doctrines. We, you know, the Trinity, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that the Holy Spirit is real and active in our world, that we are people that that are broken, that need God's grace in our life. Like we, we focus and center on these things. So the other issues that come up, whether has the world been totally determined or is there free will or, you know, questions like that, you know, are great questions, but they're not things that divide us. And that way that we can be a community that's centered around what matters. Unity is really moving toward the same goal, you know, from different areas. And that's what we love to see. You know, I've heard that uh, when you have two pastors, you have three opinions. In my family, the Bedlians, if you have uh, two people, you can have four opinions. People end up fighting sometimes around silly issues that they shouldn't fight up. They're not the main thing. People will fight about pews and chairs and carpet colors and fight with each other about political issues that should not divide them. Fight within their families, within their friendships, and fight with the world. Some churches get so centered on these things that this is what guides them. They say things like, well, we've always done it this way, or they're so centered on like the finances that they they they're always asking how much will this cost rather than how many people will this reach and bless. Sometimes we can center on programs and put all of our energy toward programs rather than developing people. There can even be churches that focus so much on a systematic theology that a systematic theology becomes more important than the people that God sent them to reach. And we don't want to do this. Now, all these things are important. And I don't want to minimize them. And, and we all have opinions. I certainly do. But for us, we want to focus on what is most essential and the things that Jesus laid out as most essential. Now, we want to finish out the rest of this passage 
But I think it's important to ask the question, why is diversity and unity so important? History teaches us the consequences of a lack of unity around the main things. Hitler during World War II and national political leaders during the genocide in Rwanda, both of those leadership groups did a better job of unifying Christians around hate, bigotry, and racism than pastors and leaders did unifying Christians around Jesus. Both these nations would have been considered Christian nations before they descended into darkness. Here's what we can learn from Paul on how to have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Listen to this. In verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus didn't use his liberty, his power, and his privilege for himself. He used those things to serve others. He had equality with God, and yet he didn't use that selfishly. He gave that to serve others. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, limited in human likeness in all of our, you know, our limitedness, God become man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, when you heard these words, do these words reflect the church in our world and what the church at large is kind of known for? Or does the church reflect the world's division and selfishness sometimes? See, whenever the church tries to win over culture, it loses. Whenever the church is a servant within culture, it wins. Servanthood is the church leading as servants, not as lords. In verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Oh, I love this image of a diverse group of people coming from all nations, centering their worship on Jesus and acknowledging him as Lord and King. A church of uncommon diversity and uncommon unity is a community of servants who serve each other and the world with love. I want to offer you this reflection today. In our church, can Trekkies, Star Wars buffs, and Lord of the Ringers serve each other in love? Can the different generations, boomers, Xers, millennials, Zs, can they serve each other in love? Can white collar and blue collar serve each other in love? Can Calvinists and free will folk serve each other in love? Can married, single, and divorced serve each other in love? Can conservatives and liberals serve each other in love? And can people from different cultures colors, convictions, serve each other in love. The church should be a mixed salad, a family of difference. Here's the invitation for this week. Find someone who thinks, looks, acts, eats, and is different than you, and serve them as Christ taught us to, not expecting anything in return, and just love them, and see what God can do for the unity of our church in its diversity. Love you guys so much. 
Thanks again for listening with us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Whitewater Church, reach out at info at whitewaterchurch.org or click contact in our show notes. And if you'd like to get involved in what Whitewater's doing to bless our communities, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org slash give. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.